And the message that I felt he laid upon my heart to share with you is one I've titled, A Prepared Heart. A Prepared Heart. Now John shared, A Thankful Heart. We weren't in cahoots, I guarantee it. I had this message as a title before he had made the announcement of what he would be sharing. But there certainly is a focus on the heart of God's people at this time. And I think that alone is significant. Would you please turn to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27. We're gonna read that portion of scripture together. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27. While you're paging there, I'll just continue to say that the Lord has a purpose and a plan for every single one of his children. There is not one of you sitting here, there's not one of his people across the face of this earth that does not have a purpose and a destiny in God. There might be a different expression of it, practically speaking, but each and every one of us, without exception, has got a purpose, a calling, and a destiny to fulfill. Sometimes God's people get too focused on the more public expression of what ministry is. But the body of Christ needs an expression of ministry in all of its forms, both the very public to the very not public, but just as needed and necessary. And let me tell you with authority, just as important, because the body is not the body without every single part playing its part. So if you are now at 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27, I'm gonna read to you a portion that Paul wrote about running our race. Each and every one of us has a calling and destiny, but Paul likens it to a race. And it's a race we are called to win. And believe it or not, it's not a race where we compete compete against our Christian brothers and sisters. It is one-on-one between you and the Lord. Only you can win this race. Only you can lose this race. If you win this race, no one else loses. In fact, everyone else wins. Because the better we ourselves run our race, the better we are able to bless others both in the body and those in the world. And so Paul speaks about running the race, seeking the Lord, and fulfilling his destiny. He says here, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And see, Paul didn't only teach and preach, he lived it. And he didn't preach and teach what he didn't live. That alone is a principle for us. Rather be quiet about some knowledge you've got about a principle until you've lived that principle and then you can with authority teach and share that principle. That is why many who have experienced a certain trauma and have gone through a process of healing have such incredible empathy and authority to be a vessel of healing into someone's life who's still going through that same trauma because they've been there. They can draw from a well and a treasure in the Lord, in his redemption they did in their life, into someone else's life. So we've all got a purpose and a destiny in the Lord. And I can say that God has a realistic expectation of us to bring our part to the table. What part did Paul bring to the table here? He said, I discipline my body, I bring it into subjection. 
He doesn't fight with, with, there's an English word frivolous, which means just being involved with a bunch of nonsense. It's just wasting your time. He had focus. He wasn't frivolous. So God has a realistic expectation of us to bring our part to the table of what we are, what we are to be investing in our time and in of ourselves towards fulfilling that call and winning the race. Now, Paul wrote this in about AD 54, 1 Corinthians. The last book he wrote was 2 Timothy, which he wrote in about AD 64, 10 years later. It was just before he passed away, and this was his testimony of his race and of his life. He said to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 67, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, and I finished the race. I have kept the faith. What a wonderful statement. He said that with confidence, not arrogance, but with a confidence he could say that he fought the good fight, he finished the race, he kept the faith. So not only 10 years before did he describe that he's got this focus and he's pressing forward, the testimony of his life is he fulfilled what he said as a faithful steward of what God has called him to. And we too are called to be faithful stewards of what God is calling us to. As I said to you before though, there's not meant to be any competition in the body of Christ. Jesus himself said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And there's a scripture in Galatians that perfectly brings together these two dynamics, the loving in the body between us as the Lord's children and our singular focus of our race, our one-on-one pressing into him. In Galatians 6, verse two to five, we read, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, not someone else's work, examine your own work, and then there will be rejoicing in yourself alone. That's your one-on-one race with the Lord, and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Now, if you read that quickly, you're gonna read, bury one another's burdens, each one should bear his own load. It sounds like a clash. But as I've explained it to you, there is no clash. They're entirely symbiotic. They're complementary. Because as we seek the Lord and we press further into him, he changes us. He conforms us to the image of his son. And we take of that blessing and we are changed. And out of us being changed, we become a greater blessing to our brothers and sisters. And we become the vessels that God cannot only use but I believe that he would be proud of, that we would be ambassadors worthy of his name. It is never meant to be a spectator sport in terms of Christianity. We are never meant to be content to sit on the sidelines and watch other people running their race with the Lord, but we ourselves being somewhat passive. And I pray that you'd be stirred up today and inspired that this will be the year where you are going to run with focus and diligence and joy and love, and you're gonna press into the Lord. And let me tell you that those who sow to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life. That is the reward you will get from pressing into the Lord in this way, in this year. Now, I read a fantastic scripture, or before I get there, I've described that Paul would run the race with diligence, he finished the race well, but I wanna share with you one practical aspect he did 
practically, how did he run the race? What did he do, literally do? And we find this in Philippians 3, verse 13b to 14, as one of the things he practiced to run the race. He said, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I forget those things that are behind. I'm not gonna let the past be carried into my present and future. I'm not gonna let the hurts be the weights that stop me from running this race. I'm not gonna let unforgiveness be a barrier between me and breaking through to God. Paul had an incredible testimony. He experienced persecution and trauma like few in the Bible. But he said, I forget those things that are behind because it's so important to attain to God's calling that I can't let those things be a weight in my life. And let this year of 2023 be a year of forgetting those things that are behind, family of God. Not just a desire to press into what he's got for you, but a diligent letting go of whatever has been a weight that you can be free with childlike wonder to pursue him as he deserves and not carrying these heavy burdens, yokes and weights with you as you go about that. Now, one final scripture I want to share, and this is my introduction. Don't worry, this, the points will be a bit shorter. All right. <laughs> I'd already prepared this entire point. It was finished. And the Lord led me to read in the book of Joel. And I read an incredible description of how the body is supposed to be there for each other and work together, complementary and not in competition. It comes out of Joel 2, verse 7 to 8. Speaking of the Lord's end time army, which family of God I truly believe to be us sitting right here. It says in Joel 2 verse seven, they run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation. They're exactly where God has placed them to be. And they do not break ranks. Listen to this. They do not push one another. That is powerful. That is so incredibly powerful. When I read that, I stopped. Because we, family of God, do at times push one another in this walk with each other. At times we gossip, at times we slander. At times we hurt, at times we reject. At times we take advantage. At times we forget and neglect. And I just wanna tell you that it is the Lord's heart's desire that we would not push one another, but that everyone marches in his own column to finish out that verse. Everyone marches in his own column. We have a race to run. It is a God-given race. It is one only we can win. The better we run it, the better we are equipped to overcome in this life, the better we are equipped to be a vessel of blessing to the body of Christ and the lost who are yet to come to know him. Amen. Amen, wonderful. So that is my introduction. On to my first point. <laughs> but in all seriousness, my first point is separate yourself for his holy purpose. I've taken this out of Joshua 3 verse five. Out of the New King James, it says, and Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. But I also wanna read it to you out of the Amplified Classic. This actually went out on the notification yesterday because this is the version that I believe just brings a wonderful emphasis to the scripture. And Joshua said to the people, 
Sanctify yourselves, that is separate yourselves for a special holy purpose. A special holy purpose. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So the call to the people was separate yourself to the Lord to his special holy purpose. Have nothing to do anymore with compromise. A little bit of background about where this scripture falls into the timeline of the people and their journey. This was after their 40 years in the desert. They'd come to the east side of the Jordan and they were about to cross over and take possession of the promised land. They were about to initiate the, the conquest of Jericho and this was just before that took place. And so in this moment, there's this gathering of the people together to set themselves aside for God's holy purpose. But in the midst of this gathering together, the Lord has a stern warning for them. And he says in Joshua 6 verse 18, and you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the cursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. So the Lord said, don't compromise. There are these things that might take your eye or that you might like to take for yourself as plunder in Jericho, but it's accursed, leave it. The only part of the plunder that was going to be taken was the silver and the gold into the house of the Lord. It was almost like a first fruits offering to the Lord to say, Lord, we're giving everything to you as a sacrifice. And thereafter, the Lord gave them immense opportunity for plunder. In fact, at their next conquest, when they did take it, because they were defeated initially, we'll get to that, the Lord allowed them to take plunder after Jericho, but not before. And I thank my, my, uh, my colleague Bruce Taylor for that. I was sharing the word with him, and he said, oh, Murray, this is also something to think of. So I wanted to share. They were free to have plunder after Jericho, but not before. But one man, Achan, decided he knew better. He decided the word of the Lord didn't apply to him, and so he partook of the accursed things and took plunder for himself, buried it in his tent, and as such brought a curse upon the whole of the nation, that when they went for their next round of conquest to Ai, Joshua thought it's such an insignificant city, he only sent a small portion of the army, but they were defeated before Ai. And in fact, 36 men perished. So we have a situation where defeat came upon the whole nation because of one man's compromise of disobeying the words express command to him. So one man with dirty hands caused the destruction and death of 36 righteous men of Israel. That the consequences were not just for him alone. In the end, it was himself and his family that were killed, along with all of the things that he took. But the initial defeat cost the lives of 36 men. And at times, when compromise comes knocking at our door, and we're tempted with the joy of whatever compromise it will be in the moment, of what that joy will be to us, it's a passing pleasure of sin. And let me tell you, the consequence can be far greater than what you would desire them to be and can reach far further than you ever thought it would. And so the Lord calls upon us to set our lives aside to set ourselves apart for his holy purpose for 2023. And I pray that you would be inspired and blessed and motivated to say, Lord, it is worth it to sow into the spirit and therefore from the spirit reap life. But I just wanna say, compromise is not necessarily sin. It's anything less than God's best for you.
It's anything less than God's best for you. And so it's not even about, oh, that this is wrong, I'm not gonna do the wrong. It can be an attitude. It can be a, a, a habit in your life. It's not necessarily something that is entirely sinful. It's just something that distracts you from the upward call of God upon your life. And if there be such a thing, I pray the Lord would reveal it to you that you can dust it off and with confidence walk into the future that he's got for you and walk into the blessings that he's got for you to enter into in 2023. And so that is my first point. Moving on to my second point is don't let Moses go up the mountain for you. Now, at one time, the Israelites had come out of Egypt, more or less 50 days later, they had come before Mount Sinai. This was where the Lord was going to reveal the law to them. And he gave a, a, a specific command. He said, separate the people from the mountain, put a boundary between the people and the mountain so that they can stand without touching the mountain because if any one of them touched the mountain, they, they would be put to death. And so the Lord then came down upon Mount Sinai and he came down in a dramatic fashion. It says that the mountain quaked and that Sinai was completely covered in smoke like a furnace. What an incredible picture. It's something that I just greatly desire to ask God to show me one day when I've stepped beyond the realms of this physical life when I'm in glory one day, I wanna to say to the Lord, Lord, show me how you came down upon that mountain in a panoramic way, greater than any IMAX screen on this earth that we now dwell upon. I really wanna see that moment because we can just only imagine the power and majesty of God coming down upon that mountain. But he had purpose in doing it that way. The purpose was to manifest himself to the people and then to speak to Moses so that the people would know that the Lord had spoken to Moses concerning the law he was gonna to reveal to the people and so that they wouldn't think Moses just made it up. That's why the Lord didn't use a still small voice in that moment. He had specific purpose to show the people his majesty that they would fear him because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But it's so that they would believe that God had spoken to Moses. So when Moses spoke to them, they would say, yes, we know the Lord has given you the revelation on the law that the Lord expects us to walk in and live. So at one point, the Lord comes down on the mountain, the people are here, and then just Moses and Aaron cross that boundary and they go and enter to speak with the Lord. And it says in Exodus 20 verse 21, oh, sorry, Exodus 19 verse six. No, round three. Exodus 20, 21. So the people stood afar off but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Now some people might hear that and say, whoa, that's scary, the thick darkness where God was? What does that mean? I just wanna reassure you, there's nothing negative about that darkness. It was speaking about his mysteries. It was speaking about the knowledge of God that was not yet revealed. So Moses goes into the thick darkness where God is, into God's mysteries, into the secret place of the Most High. And in that place, the Lord begins to minister the first five books of the Bible to him. He ministers the law to him. And that which looks like darkness is actually light. And Moses comes out of that place and ministers the law to the people. But there was a definitive boundary. The people couldn't go. They were too scared anyway. Under those circumstances, I would have been too. 
but the Lord's proclamation over his people Israel in that moment. In Exodus 19 verse six, you see, I told you I'd get back there. Is, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this was the Lord's spoken expression over, over Israel at that time. But we have an exact same kind of scripture in the New Testament describing us. The Gentiles who have taken Jesus as their savior and have now been grafted in to the olive tree and are now forever part of the family of God. 1 Peter 2 verse nine says, but you, meaning all of us here, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now I wanna get to the main point of this. I've been a little bit here, I've been a little bit there, I'm gonna bring it all together for you now. When Jesus came and lived on this earth and gave his life, at the moment of his death, a boundary was removed, a veil was torn. The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top. It speaks about the father's access to his children being made open again. It was torn from top to bottom, okay? So if we as his people now covered, as his, covered with his blood were to be in Moses' time, it would be as if that barrier between the mountain and the people, or the base of the mountain would be removed. We would be able to go into the God's mysteries and into the secret place of the Most High just as much as Moses. And let me tell you, that is the reality of our current walk with him today as we sit here. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us with boldness come unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Boldness, not arrogance, but it speaks about the barrier has been removed. So we I say to you, don't let Moses go up the mountain for you. What I mean is, don't let everyone else get revelation from the Lord as the source of sustenance into your spiritual life and walk. You have a personal invitation from the Lord, from Jesus, from his precious Holy Spirit to go past that boundary and get revelation yourself in the secret place of the Most High. Amen. Amen. You too have an invitation to go there. You can go exactly to the deepest part of God's heart as he draws you to him. The so-called deep darkness where God is, that he can reveal himself to you, reveal revelation to you, truth to you, his love for you. And then out of that, you come back to the people, to the body of Christ, and once again, you are now a blessing to the body, you're a blessing to the lost. But there is going to be a purposeful decision to seek the Lord, a purposeful decision to say, I'm gonna run this race with diligence and discipline, not in a religious way, but because I love you so much, I'm addicted to your presence, Lord. I've got to be with you. I'm gonna press in and have a meeting with God. And that meeting, I guarantee, will transform your life and conform you to the image of his son. And you will be further down the road on that race where you, like Paul, one day would be able to say, I've run the race, I, or I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Don't let someone else go up the mountain for you. Yes, days like today, maybe there's something you hear, you experience today from someone else that is a blessing to you. That is what it's meant to be. But you too are a unique blessing to God and to the body of Christ 
And I want to invite you to go and visit with your creator that you can be all you were called to be as well as the blessing he is calling you to give. Amen. Good. My final point is a tender heart towards his word. Now, when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate asked him a question which Jesus didn't answer. Pontius Pilate asked him, what is truth? He said, what is truth? Now, Jesus didn't answer Pontius Pilate specifically in that moment, but he actually shared the answer with his disciples the night before. When they had the Last Supper in John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples as well as the church to come, which is us. And in that prayer, John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Pilate asked, what is truth? Jesus answered, God's word is truth. And yet, the first part of that scripture is sanctify them by your truth. What is sanctify? We've already been speaking about it. It is being set apart. It's being set aside. And so a prepared heart is a heart that has regular interaction with the word of God. Because the word of God is an incredibly active, powerful gift into our lives to help us be separated to his holy purpose and to prepare us for what he is calling us to walk in. The word also washes and cleanses us. In Ephesians 5, verse 25 to 26, it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word. So the word washes us from the effects of the world, the daily stresses that we go through, when we have an un, or a very difficult interaction, perhaps with a colleague at work, and it affects us, go to the Word. Spend time in the Word. Read the Word. But there is a critical factor that we have to bring to the table, and that is why I titled my third point, A Tender Heart Towards His Word. It's not just about reading His Word. Our hearts must be open to His Word. I know that sounds too simple. It's like, well, that's obvious, but it's not obvious for everyone. And it's not everyone's experience either. A perfect example of someone whose heart was open to the word and when the word came, there was this amazing reaction to the word of God is King Josiah, that righteous king who began reigning at eight years old. After coming to the throne 10 years later when he was 18, he set about restoring the Lord's temple which had fallen into ruin under Manasseh, his father. And while the temple was being restored, the book of the law was found. This was brought to Josiah and read to him by Hilkiah the high priest. And as Hilkiah is reading the scriptures to Josiah, he gets up and he tears his robes and he cries out to the Lord and he says, great is the judgment against this place and this people for we have sinned against the Lord. And he was entirely correct and he, he sent to seek the counsel of the prophetess Hulda and she sent word back to say, yes, judgment is set, judgment is coming to Judah. The sin is too great, it will not be taken back. However, the Lord says to you, Josiah, and I'm gonna to read to you out of 2 Kings 22, a couple of scriptures of what the Lord's word was to Josiah because his heart was tender towards the Lord's word. He says, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke, you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. 
Because Josiah's heart was tender towards the Lord, he experienced a personal blessing from the Lord of protection. And it wasn't just for him, it saved his whole generation from God's judgment. God's judgment waited one more generation because Josiah's heart was tender towards his word. Now what kind of miracles can we experience in our own lives if our hearts are tender towards his word? That when we read his word, we won't just reject it. We don't think, oh, but that can't be for me. All the promises of God on him, yes, and in him, amen. It doesn't mean we run around naming it and claiming it, God have mercy on those, truly. I'm talking about us holding on to the promises of God that he has given you. You sought his face and he has spoken to you and you know that you've received a word from the Lord. Let that be sown into the depths of your heart in a deep and meaningful way. And just to bring this into focus, I wanna share a parable with you. I'll paraphrase it quickly. (laughs) The seed of the sower is found in Mark 4, Luke 8, and Matthew 13. And just to paraphrase, the sower goes and sows seed. The first seed he sows is on hard ground, and the second seed, well, it's all the same seed. He sows seed on hard ground, he sows seed on shallow ground, which germinate, but then die off very quickly. He then sows seed amongst thorns, but they choked. And finally, it's sown on good ground. And the seed that is sown on good ground germinates and grows and produces much fruit. Now, the sower, it says in Mark 4, 14, is sowing the word. It says here, the sower sows the word. Now, that sower had one bag of seed. There weren't multiple bags of seed. It's not like he had lesser quality seed for the hard ground because he knew the ground was hard. I'm not gonna waste my seed on the hard ground. He had one bag. It was all good seed. It was all the word. The difference was the hearts of the people to which it was sown. That was the dividing line between that which was good and penetrated, the hearts that were tender would germinate and produce fruit. The hard ground would have seed stolen. That's where people don't hear or don't care. The shallow ground is where persecution or trials come and people say, it's just too hard to serve you, Lord, I can't do this. For those that are choked, it is the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world and the desire for things. And when those come, people fall away from the Lord. And so his word has all capacity for deliverance and for blessing and for fruitfulness and for growth. But the hinge, the hinge family of God is your heart. Is your heart tender towards his word? Is it open to the word? You're not gonna argue with his word. You're not gonna say, Lord, I'm happy with this, but I'm not happy with that. There is a humbling before his word, like Josiah did, that brings you into a place of blessing before him and a fruitfulness which we cannot begin to conceive in our current state as we sit here. Because the only restriction upon God's word is God in terms of the blessing he can bring into our lives as we allow him to, and our hearts are tender towards that. James 1 verse 21 says, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And that is a sealing scripture on this particular point. Alexia, I'd like to ask you to please come forward. At this particular moment in our service today, we're gonna move into a time of communion. Now, as I shared with you before, we're gonna be having physical elements, so 
It's gonna take a couple of minutes for us to pass these elements to everyone, so please just be patient. And uh, while that is taking place, I'm just going to share with you a little bit more around communion, just so we uh, don't uh, stand here in awkward silence. And uh, the Lord has certainly given me something that I wanted to share with you in this holy moment that we are moving towards. Now, in my message today that I shared with you, the first point concerned a gathering. It was the gathering of the people with Joshua. They were to sanctify themselves, set themselves apart for God's holy purpose. The second point I shared with you was Moses. And the people gathered together for the instruction of the law, for the purpose of Moses going before the Lord and coming back with a revelation of the law and sharing it with the people. But they were also commanded to sanctify themselves. Now you might say to me, well, what about Josiah? There was no gathering of people together there. Let me tell you what happened out of his experience with the word and after he tore his robes and humbled himself. He immediately set about having a Passover for the whole nation. The greatest Passover Israel had had since the time of the judges. There wasn't even a single king that had a Passover to the national level as what Josiah did. And so Josiah, so moved by his word, gathered the people for the greatest Passover since the time of the judges, another gathering. Family of God, one of the greatest gatherings in the entirety of history took place on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion. There was a gathering of 13 people together in a room for the purpose of Jesus revealing eternal life, the finality of the judgment that would befall on him, that we would be free for eternity. Now in the context of Jerusalem on that day and on that time, how many other meetings were taking place? How many other people were getting together? So very many, and yet the small little gathering had such incredible significance. Now today, we are gathered together. We gather together for worship. We've gathered together to honor the Lord. We've gathered together to share in a word. And now we are gathering together to share in communion with each other. It truly is a holy moment and I want to encourage you as we move into the fullness of communion. That if you have unforgiveness in your heart, you would speak forgiveness and release whoever you are yet to forgive. If there's any kind of ongoing, consistent sin in your life, repent of that right now. And in fact, if there's any burdensome thing that you simply just can't release in this moment, I want to encourage you not to partake of communion. Communion is the celebration of the sacrifice Jesus did on our behalf. He completely poured out his life for us. And we do communion in remembrance of him, in celebration of his goodness. But there is also an expectation from God upon us that we would not carry any weights and sin into this precious time with him. And what I mean by the weights is not the burdensome things that we trust in God to work in. I'm talking about those areas of compromise that I spoke about earlier. And so even as we are getting ready, let me just see how many, is there anyone that is yet to be served? You could just raise a hand for our teams. Okay, right here in the front. 
Leonie, right here in the front. There we go. I think that's everyone. Please raise a hand if you still haven't been served. Okay, we're almost there. Family of God, as we're about to partake in this holy moment, I just wanna offer up a prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your sacrifice in your son giving his life that we might be restored to your family. Lord, I pray that you would have mercy upon us today. I pray, Lord, that you would presence yourself amongst us as we remember the sacrifice of your son. I thank you, Lord, that you are trustworthy forever. There's never going to be a day where you cannot be trusted. Lord, you are unchanging. In you, there's no shadow of turning. And Lord, as we partake of this communion together, we thank you that 2023 is a year of deliverance, of moving forward. Lord, I even pray that you would equip us to more than overcome through Christ who strengthens us in this time. But I thank you, Lord, for your broken body that you broke for us, for the blood that you shed for us, for being who you are and doing what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just wanna read to you out of 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he betrayed, took bread, in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread. take the cup. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the cup. Now just take a moment to let thankfulness well up in your heart as we just sit and appreciate what the Lord did for us on the cross. Amen. Family of God, I will release the service now. I wanna say once more, thank you for coming today on the 8th. A day I trust with you for a day, being a day of new beginnings. That as you extend your faith to the Lord in this week ahead, that your prayers and your faith would extend to the year ahead, a year of release, a year of blessing. I pray that the Lord would minister to you in such a mighty way that you would receive revelation and understanding beyond what has ever come before. I release you today in Jesus' name, go in peace, and may we all come together again for a further celebration and the next level we are trusting for next week. God bless you, go well, all the best. Thank you, bye-bye.